Welcome to the Emergence Discipleship Podcast, created to equip ourselves with insight, background, and context into the themes and topics we study each week, first as we gather together to worship Jesus, and then as we go and make disciples. Let's dive into this week's discussion. All right, welcome everybody to the final week of our fall season for the uh, Community Leaders Podcast. I'm Doug Becker, joined with uh, the usual Kristen Gorder. Kristen. Hey, everybody. How happy, you doing, Doug? Happy Monday to you, Kristen. Yeah, likewise. Uh, this is uh, this is a, another one of these home versions where Kristen <laughs> is trying to not speak too loudly so as to wake up her napping children. Oh, I don't even think they're asleep yet, so. Nice. <laughs> prayers, prayers appreciated. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, mine, my, one of mine just came down, so. Yeah, so uh, this is uh, this is the last week of this season, as you all know. Um, as I mentioned uh, in my email uh, last week to to everybody, you know, for those of you on Thursday doing Thursday groups, if you took off last Thursday, uh, it's totally fine. If you want to do last week's study material, that is the the almost sacrifice of Isaac from Genesis twenty two, because that is indeed the climax of the Genesis story and. Rather than doing the first week of a totally new season, you might want to do that one. So I leave your leave it to your discretion if you want to do that. Uh, but I don't know. I thought yesterday's message was really great. Um, thank um, thank you, Ryan, for 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 putting so much work into that and and really giving us a, a good overview, an ambitious task, an overview of Scripture, uh, the hope of Jesus in Scripture. I fully expected him to go well over our allotted <laughs> service yeah. going it, through the whole Bible, but he, that was a, it was good. a reasonable length. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought so for sure. <laughs> um, cool. And uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep Kristen in your prayers. She will be, uh, she is with child as most of you know, I'm sure. <laughs> can't and, miss it now. <laughs> yeah. You can't miss it. There's no hiding it. And uh, so a bunch of you have been asking about next, uh, the dates for the winter season. And uh, I'm about 95% sure right now that it will be running from January 9th to the week of January 9th to the week of March 13th. So that's 10 weeks there. Those are the Sundays that begin the week. So those would be the 10 weeks. So January 9th, which means that... um, Kristen will be having her her baby early in on in next season. Yeah, hopefully pretty, so, pretty quickly thereafter the start. <laughs> will you be joining us live from the delivery room? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just you got that. That's I'll, I'll that's, pop on here to record the first. Uh... <laughs> Kristen, that's why these microphones have mute buttons on them. Yeah, <laughs> nobody needs to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it is a, as co- uh, my husband has said, it's a beautiful but disgusting miracle. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I told I put I posted a picture of uh, of Noah, my 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 newborn son, up on uh, our church uh, little. What do you what? How would you describe base camp? It's like a little uh, thing that we communicate with everyone on staff online. Yeah. And Basically, I told, over social media. And I told, and I just, I just told everyone, DM me for pics of the placenta. 
Disgusting. Um, yeah. I got you back for that one though. Oh, you did. Yeah. Kristen <laughs> sent me photos of a cookbook. <laughs> Kristen, what, what were, what were those recipes for again? You, you want to tell those me? Were, this is just, I feel like we've gone above and beyond to, <laughs> for our finale, but uh, those are pictures of recipes for placenta smoothie that I will never try. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, kudos to those of you who have no, yes. no judgment, but, but um, I, it's not something I would go to, go for. Yeah, that was extraordinary. That was extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, they did. I I told everybody that they let me take home a piece of the umbilical cord, right? Oh like, no! Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I have like a three-inch segment of it. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I don't know. It's like something out of uh, Alien. That is Alien. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, not, okay. Not, not my cup of tea. Anyway, cup of tea. We're not, and I will not be making tea with it. We're gonna have a, a fraction of the people who started with us left by this. <laughs> this this podcast is just too disgusting. I can't listen. <laughs> not disgust. Not not to say that the placenta is disgusting. I'm just saying, <laughs> like me making tea with an umbilical cord. Should we re-record the beginning here? All right, no, never mind. Um, okay, so. <laughs> The uh, seltzer of the day is uh, this is the Bowl and Basket, which is the new and new and improved Shoprite brand. Uh, yeah. Plain seltzer, blue can. Plain, no flavor. I've actually become partial to the to the no flavor recently. Maybe um, you should invest in a um, one of those uh, those soda machine things. Yeah, the soda machine. I have one. Oh yeah. You just take your water, add a little carbonation, and get yourself some some plain. Mm, that's a, that's an idea. The water in my house is disgusting. We have to <laughs> we drink uh, we drink uh, bottled water here because we got a well and it's like yeah. So and, and with that, let's go ahead and just talk some announcements because we're never okay. gonna. <laughs> okay. We are never. Gonna. Yeah. Uh, all go right. So, so what uh, do we have coming up? Well, we uh, we mentioned uh, we've been mentioning winter sessions coming right around the corner. Uh, so every time I make this announcement, I feel the distress on the back of my neck. Uh, but that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be beginning uh, Monday nights, beginning December 13th through January 17th. Uh, six weeks of uh, different evenings where I and Walt Windish will be covering a bunch of uh, uh, challenging questions that are 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 uh, kind of meant to just give us a better understanding of um uh, the intellectual foundations for the faith. Uh, so uh, very important questions that we feel that um, are important to ask, such as, do I need evidence to believe? Why should I think God exists? Are the Gospels reliable accounts of Jesus's life? How can I know that Jesus rose from the dead? And what about evolution? Um, and uh, yeah, so those are, those are, oh, and is Christianity bigoted? So things that uh, hopefully, um, uh, will be helpful either to you directly or even maybe equipping you to, to share the faith with your friend. Um, so be sure to join us with that. Come out live to Totowa campus to support, ask questions live, or of course, uh, we'll be on the Facebook and YouTube channels. Yeah, that's where I'll be joining you. That's right. All right. That sounds good. Make sure you got a comment then. Let us know you're with us. All right. <laughs> All right. From from the emer- from the um, hospital. <laughs> Um, the baby that early <laughs> that's right yeah well now we got a christmas movie coming up too that we should do. be fun december 10th 
right? Uh, I don't know what time that is. I should know that. It's uh, 6.30. Oh, yeah, that's right. Start time. I should have put the start time on there. Yeah, All right. I believe it's the 6.30 start time, but you might want to confirm that on yeah. our on the, the bulletin. And we are uh, watching Die Hard. <laughs> Invite the kids. <laughs> the no. star. The star. I haven't yes. watched this one, actually. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, man. Yes. This definitely is Stephanie's, uh, Stephanie Clausen's uh, stamp of approval. So, ah, you know, it's good. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So come out for that free popcorn on December us. 10th. Hopefully, it's, I think it's at 630. Yeah. And then Eve, Eve services. Yeah. I got a little snarky in this, in my wording here. If math isn't your strong suit, Christmas Eve, Eve is December 23rd. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Uh, three of those at to- the Total Campus and uh, two at Ringwood. So be there and be square. You can even double dip. Go to Ringwood and then go to Totowa. There you go. That's right. And then I might back- be doing that. <laughs> or go to Totowa, go to Ringwood, and then come back to Totowa. That you could do. You could swing it. I could see it happening. Feeling in the holiday spirit. And then also just a reminder to pray for everybody who's uh, both leaders and the students who are going to be going to the winter retreat. And a uh, reminder to you guys that uh, the registration is open till Christmas now. So uh, feel free to do that. Be a good thing. Winter retreats are good. They are a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. So um, as I said, uh, this week, is everything okay with my connection? I feel yeah. like I'm hearing weird things. Okay, good. Okay. It's probably my son. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Here. No problem. <laughs> All right. Um, so, uh, as I said, this is an overview. Uh, Ryan um, centered this uh, first message on in the Advent season over the theme of hope, and uh, so uh, kind of how the, the the hope of Christ is laid out in in Scripture. Um, the main text, if I had to choose one, would be that one in Luke he mentioned, Luke one thirty through thirty four. Although really it is a assorted text, and the main idea. Uh, The hope that God gives us is that he will establish Jesus as our good king to reign over us forever. Um, So let's uh, jump in here to the passage. And uh, we begin with a a section of reflection on actually the passage that he talked about last, which is 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Um, Would you like to read or shall I? I can attempt to read it, but I'm not... Um, <laughs> the names. All right, here we go. <laughs> Peter 1, 1 through... Uh, oh, don't worry about the first verse. Just start at verse 3. You don't even need the oh, names. There we go. Okay. You're good. Yeah. Let's skip ahead. <laughs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. All right. This beautiful. is a great, yeah, beautiful passage. This whole, this whole uh, paragraph is uh, worthy of memorization. Good. Uh, there's, a, there's a goal for you over Christmas break, leaders. Um, all right, so we start off with the question here. How do these verses describe the Christian's hope? 
And how does this differ from other things that people hope in? Um, mm. Yeah. So I think it's interesting here that um, that uh, Peter uh, brings this concept of being born again in. Typically, we associate that with Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter three. But here we have Peter kind of recalling about the way that the Lord apparently spoke about, um, you know, uh, salvation and um, uh, as, as a new birth. And we're born again to that hope. Um, yeah. I do think it's interesting that it calls it a living hope. So that's one thing that's that's distinctive here um, uh, about that. And uh, it's not entirely clear what he means by calling it a living hope. You know what I mean? Like, is the idea that Jesus is living and our hope is in him? Is it the idea that um, our hope is something that is uh, that is that is vibrant? Is it is it a vibrancy? It changes our lives. It's uh, it's exciting. Um, so you have a, a little bit of a pliable term there, the, a living hope, but it's not, it's not a, not a dead hope. Um, yeah. but, um, I, yeah, I just love the next verse where it says an inheritance yeah. that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. I think that's like, that part really is so beautiful to me. Yeah. And that really is kind of the crux of what this question is getting at. Right. Yeah, because uh, notice the way that the sentence is uh, is 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 worded, right? Like if you were diagramming the sentence, so to speak about really interesting stuff, right? Uh, notice how he kind of like repeats himself. He says, "Born again to a living hope," and then to an inheritance, mm-hmm. right? It's almost like to a living hope that is to an inheritance that is. So it's it's the inheritance that is the the hope. Yeah, and it's imperishable, undefiled, and it's unfading. And it's kept in heaven for us uh, who are being guarded by God's power. So all of those things. Um, and so you contrast this with things that people hope in that are perishable, are defiled, and are fading. So um, uh, so think, you know, kind of like uh, parse out what those things would be. So the imperishability of the Christian's hope would be. Uh, the idea that uh, it will never go away. It's not going to turn to rust or something, uh, you know, where, where moth and rust destroy. Um, it's it's permanent and it's in, eternal. Uh, it's undefiled. So it's pure. It's a it's a morally pure hope. It's not, you know, hope that I'm going to, uh, you know, get one over on someone or hope that I'm going to be able to do something that's, um, that's immoral or that's going to going to uh, harm someone else or something like that. Um, and it's unfading. Uh, it doesn't diminish over time. It's not, it's the hope is, is not less sure uh, because more time has passed or something and we're waiting for it. Um, and, uh, and so all those things, you know, contrast to things that people hope in. So, you know, hope in material things. If, if, if you think about material things, whether it's, uh, you know, I hope I could get a better house or I think I hope I can uh, get good, uh, uh, you know, better car or something like that. Uh, those things are are perishable. Those are things that, that are not going to last. Um, or you think of hopes that are immoral in some sense. Um, 
you know, I hope I can get with this person or something like that. Or um, uh, I hope I can, my hope is everybody's working for the weekend and I'm going to get sloshed, you know, sad, yeah. but you know, some people that, that is kind of like the hope that's what you work for. You know, I, I live on Lake Apakong, you know, and uh, it's amazing how many people's lives are kind of centered around being able to drink on a boat hmm. for, on the weekend, you know? Um, yeah. And, um, and then there's, you know, unfading. It doesn't just because it, uh, you know, time uh, transpires, it doesn't, it doesn't, get less and less, you know, so, um, maybe our hope for a, for a, a good, a decent president, uh, fades over time when we see time <laughs> and time again, you know, uh, we're, we're disappointed. So, you know, things like yeah. that. Yeah. So what does Peter mean by saying that we are guarded by God's power? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think we can think about it like at a um, uh, a few different different ways. Um, I think that uh, I think that for me, my understanding of this is that the through faith is an important part of what's going on there. By God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the in the last time. Now, it is a little hard to kind of like fit the jigsaw pieces of that statement together. But I think mm -hmm. that it's, it is um, our faith that God's power is, is guarding, um, uh, you know, so, so through faith, we have access to our hope and we are being guarded by God's power in that respect. And so the things that in my life that would cause me to lose faith, the things that, uh, so it's the things that would cause, uh, um, that that challenge my my belief and my my faith in Christ that make it difficult that make me want to turn away um, that that God Himself uh, guards this He's He's faithful to keep what I uh, Paul has a similar kind of thing in um, uh, um, in in the book of Ephesians um, and there he says that um, I think it's no I think it's actually one of the Timothys that he says it where he says that um God is able to guard what I have entrusted to him um and this idea is that uh yeah I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on where he says that I think it's in the beginning of 2 Timothy actually sure um but the idea there is um yeah here it is um 2 Timothy 1:12 uh, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So like kind of this idea, like no matter what happens to me, uh, God is able to to guard um, what is truly valuable. So like nothing is going to touch um, my salvation, my hope, my inheritance in Christ. Uh, so that's the idea there. Um Okay, I'm moving along um, in Kristen's absence for a minute here because uh, um, one of her kids is is stirring and she's a good mom. So, uh, Kristen, we await your return. But in the meantime, let's look at that next question. Uh, what does Peter mean by saying that we are guarded by God's power? Oh, okay. I think she just asked that. There we go. Okay. <laughs> okay, so let's go on to the next one. Uh, 
Twice in the sermon, Ryan said that our hope is only as valuable as it is true. Why is it important for hope to be true? And uh, the, there, I think that's a that's an uh, important insight for us to keep in mind because the way that we typically think of hope um, in our uh, just the way that we typically talk about it uh, is hope. Often, when we say we're hoping for something, there's a lack of certainty that it's going to happen. It's it's almost like um, if luck is on my side, this will happen, right? So um, I hope to be home soon, or I I hope that you'll call me back, or I uh, I hope this works, right? Um, and uh, it's 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 almost like there's a there's a blunt there's a there's a degree of uncertainty there in the way that we speak of hope. Well, that's not the way that the scripture speaks of the hope that's in Christ, right? The the hope that's in Christ is not something that's questionable. In fact, the interesting thing is that it is spoken of as being guarded by God's power. Um and uh um uh and if it, so in other words, if anything's secure our inheritance in Christ is secure. So that's how that's different. And um, yeah, so uh, it's important for our hope to be true, I think, because right, we're, we're, we're basing our lives around it. The call to follow Christ is a call to, to, to forsake all else, um, to count everything else as, as secondary to him. Um to, to completely reorient our lives around being his disciples, uh, around doing what he commands us, um, uh, around loving him, loving people. And that is not a, that is not a small order. And so uh, discipleship is costly. And uh, if I'm going to give myself to that, then I want my hope to be true. I don't want it to just I don't want to have it be a hope where there's that that level of 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 uncertainty. I want to be confident. Uh, think of the way that Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, especially in chapter three, talks about uh, the way that our um, the way that we persevere. Right? It talks about holding fast our confidence firm to the end. I, I want something I can be confident in in the midst of things getting difficult. And of course, both Hebrews and First Peter have that uh, have that. Um, flavor of things getting difficult for Christians. All right, Kristen is back with us. So uh, finally, less in this section, what false hope are you the most tempted towards and why are they false? Why is it false? Ah, again, I didn't send this to my proofreader. So um, <laughs> what false hopes are you most tempted towards and why are they false? Um, oh, man. Yeah. That, that could be answered so many ways. <laughs> But I feel like it, a lot of it would end up kind of falling under the category of something being in, something being perishable, defiled, or fading. Yeah. Yeah. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I do. Um, you know, I can think I think that this is, you know, close to the concept of idolatry in some sense, in that a lot of times we're tempted to I idolize things that are really good. Um, you know, and like I think of something that's really good in my life, and I think of my kids, for example, right? And it's like my kids can become an idol for me, and everybody who has kids and tries to walk with Jesus kind of knows that. <laughs> and, um, but the idea of um, children can become false hope, you know that that like 
the idea that they're going to grow. I, of course, I want them to and would give anything for them to grow up and be okay, you know, and 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 be the people that that the Lord wants them to be and that I want them to be. Um, hopefully, those line up. <laughs> um, but uh, on the other hand, uh, putting my hope in any person. Uh, I'm putting my hope in a sinful human being who's got a will drawn towards the flesh. And if all my eggs are in the basket of, of hoping in what my children will one day be, um, then uh, that's a false hope. Yeah. Yeah. And I I've seen it in marriages too. You, you hope that your, your marriage, which is a good thing and um, something that should be invested in, can can often become like your your hope is in that person to satisfy you and meet all of your needs and it's just never going to happen apart from Christ. Yeah. Um they can't they can't fulfill you like like Christ can. Yeah. 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 And and I as Ryan often reminds us when he talks about that like it's put it puts an unfair burden on the other person as well. Cuz they're not meant they're not designed by God to to bear that <laughs> that that much uh they're not designed to bear your hope on their shoulders yeah um yeah it's a good thing my yeah. wife doesn't put her hope in me <laughs> <laughs> yeah so hope in god hope in god so in the sermon what were you gonna what were you gonna say i was gonna say speaking of hoping in god let's have a god-sized hoping, hope. yeah there we go <laughs> moving right along we're but, on the same uh, page so in the sermon, Ryan surveyed the main points of the biblical storyline that bring us to the hope of Christ. In it, we saw that the hope for a king to rule over God's people really starts to get fleshed out when David's royal dynasty is established in Israel. Mm. Um, so that takes us back to the Old Testament. It does. In Second Samuel. Yeah. So we did have to be selective about, about which passages we would talk about in, in our small groups this week. Sorry, community groups. Um, we couldn't go over we everything. A lot of ground. He covered a lot of ground. A lot of ground. <laughs> yeah. Would um, you like to one? Yeah, sure. So now this is um, every time, this is one of those passages where every time we, I, I talk about it, I kind of flag that if you're serious about knowing your bible this is a chapter you need to know what happens in this is the establishment of god's covenant with david um so picking up in verse nine god says uh through the prophet nathan um i have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you and i will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth and i will appoint a place for my people israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a, make you a house. When, the day, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build the house for my name, 
and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Hmm. All right. <clears throat> I even went a verse further. You did. Yes. So in verses 12 to 16, God promises to raise up David's offspring, whose throne will be established forever. Who is this? Based on what the text says, how do you know? Yes. So this is a uh, this is one of those things uh, where. <laughs> um, okay, I feel like I quote this guy a lot, um, but um, one of my my um, professors in seminary, um, uh, Don Carson, uh, used to say of this passage that. Uh, he tells, you know, this little quip about kids in Sunday school, you know, and the Sunday school teacher is telling a story and he says, what climbs trees, collects nuts and has a big bushy tail. And one kid raised his hand and he goes, well, I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but it sounds a lot like a squirrel to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, well. Yeah, but what stands out to me from this passage that can the part that can I would say Jesus, except it can what confuses me is when it says when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men with the stripe of the sons of men. So that be referring to the cross or is so okay? Yeah, that's exactly the rub there, right? Um, So because that's saying he commits iniquity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's probably not Jesus, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think the way to think of it is this. Um, so this, uh, we see this in a bunch of other prophetic texts in the Old Testament. We see it, you see it, for example, uh, if you've ever heard me talk about Psalm 2, for example, Psalm 2 is a lot like this, where this is actually applicable to Solomon and then to all of the kings who reign in David's line. Right to to Asa to Jeho- uh, Jehoshaphat and you know all of all of their uh, everyone in that line is in the house of David, okay. And uh, of Solomon, it is true that his house and his throne will be established forever. Now we know that it happens through Christ, right? But that's true, and and as we see the the you know the history of uh, Israel unfold, when kings committed iniquity, God does discipline them, uh, but nevertheless, He does not take the throne away like He took it away from Saul. Now, so there's a sense in which Second Samuel seven is fulfilled in all of the kings who reign on David's throne, even the wicked ones. Um, and indeed they are all called, they are all in a sense, messiahs, all messiah means is an anointed one, a king, someone who's anointed with oil. Okay. Um, but then Jesus comes and fulfills the, this, this passage in a, this, this covenant. Like a greater. Um, 
fulfillment of it. You could kind of think of think of it as a very literal filling of a glass, right? Mm-hmm. Like with all these other kings, the glass is filled to various degrees, but okay. to Jesus, it's absolutely filled all the way. Gotcha. You know, so and I would just say of these verses, when he commits iniquity, right? That just doesn't apply to Christ. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So I think that that's the way to think of it. So the offspring is all of David's offspring, really. But then it is fulfilled in Christ. And I think that that's a, you know, that for me has been a very helpful and eye-opening way to understand New Testament Mm -hmm. fulfillment. Yeah. So that, I mean, gets to the next question, though. Yeah. You kind of answered it. What are the key elements of the promise that God is making to David's royal offspring? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So let's uh, run through. And Kristen, if you want to to, to pull any of them out as well, feel feel free. Um, sure. Okay. So, um, so um, notice that there's a promise of, uh, first of all, uh, verse 11, right? And, and 10, really, there's a promise of rest. There's a promise of mm-hmm. peace, right? And you think of the Messianic age as described, for example, in Isaiah 2, they're going to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I will make for you a house. Notice it's interesting here that uh, this is in a, a, the context where David has just resolved to build a temple for God. I'm going to mm-hmm. build a house for you, meaning a temple. And God's like, no, you won't. But I'm going to build a house for you, meaning a dynasty. And um, at any rate, I will raise up your offspring after you. Uh, I will establish his kingdom. Okay, so that his kingdom will be established by God Himself. It's not going to be, you know, he's got he's got uh, he's got a guy on the inside and. Or he's going to take over by a coup. No, it's going to be God who establishes his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Um, uh, you know, that the house of God, <laughs> the, the you know, his, his whole house, everyone under him will be um, in the name of the Lord. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So you have this enduring aspect of it, this perpetual aspect of it. I will be to him a father. He will be to me a son. That is a very important uh, thing there, right? Because this this actually establishes the Son of God language. And I know often when we think Son of God, we think second person of the Trinity. Um, and there is certainly a sense in which um, Jesus does speak like that. But um, in the New Testament, Son of God is often a kingly title, where all of the kings are regarded in a sense as a Son of God, Jesus, of course, being the Son of God in the truest sense. And so rightly uh, a king. Um, so there's all of that. Um, and then, of course, there's a lot about this eternal nation, nature of the kingdom, uh, or at least we could per- perhaps more accurately say this enduring. His house shall be made sure uh, forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Um, yeah, I see what you mean here about how it is. Um, kind of a pre like each king has fulfilled each of these things and established it but at, at the end of the day Christ is one who is come and f- truly fulfilled each of each one of them so your throne shall be established forever and um and I think really of when Jesus is baptized in the Holy Spirit and the, yeah. the voice of God, like, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That kind of being the moment where we really like see that declared by God. Yep. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, and it's, again, it's, it's, there's kingly connotations, you know? So like when in the gospels, when, when people are calling Jesus, the son of God, or when he calls himself the son of God, right? Like the first thing that would have popped into people's mind is not second member of the Trinity, right? That's, Mm. this is, um, that's not really understood until a little bit later on. The primary thing would have been a kingly thing. All right. Very good. So let's um, uh, let's move on to Isaiah chapter nine, verse six through seven. Both of us have kids coming up to us. Hi, Edwin. How's it going, <laughs> my man? <laughs> yeah, this is. Uh... Hi, I'm doing <laughs> What's that? You're he saying, he's saying, bored. You're bored. Well, what better way to cure boredom than to spend some time, Edwin, in Isaiah nine? Okay. Uh, does mom want to read it or shall I? Yeah, I'm going to, I'll read it. All right. Nine, six through seven, we said? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the chapter nine, verses six through seven. All right. For, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It makes me think of um, Charlie Brown's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Does it, do they read that in that? Do they read it in they Charlie do, Brown's yeah. Christmas? Oh, man. I got to get up on Charlie Brown's Christmas. You know what, so I, what, used is- to, you know what I used to love as a kid? You ever see yeah. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas? No, I can't say I've ever even heard of it. It was like a it was like a Jim Hansen one. It's like I cry every single time I watch it. I'm not going <laughs> to go in depth into that now. I think we'll talk about Isaiah nine instead. But hit me up Sounds if you good. like Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, and uh, I want to watch it with your kids this year. Anyway, um, yeah. So here, obviously, um, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on at this part of Isaiah. There's actually a bunch of children who are given as like signs, right? So in chapter seven, you have the Emmanuel passage. Then you have like the the the, the less well-known ones, She'ar Yashuv, a remnant will return. You have Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, right? Speedy to the spoil, hasten to the plunder. Um, that's not a good one right there. But now it's like, here's another child, a son, he's coming. And uh, the government, notice again, this idea of like the establishment of a kingdom, right? Government upon his shoulders and these names that he's going to be given, wonderful counselor. Mighty God is a shocking one too, right? Because it's clear that it's talking about a Davidic king, right? He's he's going to be on the throne of David, but he's going to be called Mighty God. And interestingly, the only other, because sometimes... You know, some people will point out, especially like Jehovah's Witnesses or something like that, the word God can sometimes be referred referred to, to human rulers or something like that. And so, but interestingly, the only other time you see the um, expression "mighty God" El Gabor used in Scripture is one chapter later here in Isaiah, in chapter ten, verse twenty-one, where it is referring unambiguously to the Lord, to to God Himself. So that's a very interesting title that isaiah would give to this son who will be born um 
Now, notice the question here, though. What is the significance of the fact that God gave this prophecy while there was a king from the line of David already reigning in Jerusalem? Okay, And this is King Ahaz. Ahaz. Coming to America. Um, <clears throat> you know, he's reigning roughly 735 to 716 B.C. Um, what is the significance? Now, this is a little bit of a head scratcher. Do you feel like taking a stab at this? Or is it... I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think part of the significance is pointing out that this is clearly not the dude. <laughs> yeah, it's not the dude, right? Yeah. Um, he may was he a good king? I have no idea. Yeah. He may have been a, a good king, and people may have called him a good king. But um, yeah, I think. That's basically what I yeah. I get from it is he has there is a king on the throne from the line of David so he's fulfilling some of these these criteria but he's not the he's not the one that we call wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting Father Prince of Peace he's not exactly, fulfilling yeah. all of all of the criteria exactly, so they're still basically yeah. saying there's still someone out there that we're looking for there's someone out there and it's hard to see how any real human king could really fulfill this you know like it's not as if like he's like oh when when hezekiah gets on the throne then you know there there's going to be wonderful counselor mighty god like like no like uh it's so already during the when during the you know, the reign of Jerusalem kings in the Old Testament, when there is a king sitting in Jerusalem, there is already this hope that there will be one who surpasses all of them in some magnificent way. Um, yeah. You see this also in Psalm 110 would be another interesting passage for those of you who like to um, talk about stuff. So I feel uh, like it's something we fall for. <laughs> like you yeah. said, putting hope in like a political leader, we always think, Oh, this next guy is going to be the one. <laughs> yeah. And, uh... Yeah, exactly. And, and really like uh, there, that there's, um there's interesting. It's interesting because the, the hope that, that Isaiah is really combating here um, that, you know, that he's speaking to against the false hope is a political false hope. Essentially mm-hmm. it's that the King Ahaz um, is his all of his advisors are telling him to get in league with the king of Assyria to to help him because he's being attacked by by some other kingdoms, and so and Isaiah's like, don't do it, trust the wow. Lord, trust the Lord, God is with us, Emmanuel. Look <laughs> over there, but no, he doesn't. This do is it. why I keep putting pressure on you and and Ryan to do a series in Isaiah, but you guys haven't taken that. Uh, I, I'm I'm game. We should do it. Should do it now. It's totally on Bigsel's shoulders. There's a lot there, and yeah. it's. I feel like we could probably spend ten years in it, but um, right. it's such an interesting book. Anyway, yeah. all right. So, so um, how would you compare the hope? I mean, we guess we we answer this. How would you compare the hope held out in this passage to false hopes that people fall for? Yeah, yeah. And again, I think that's the internal enduring aspect of it. Um, but then there's also the idea that like, you've got the, the, it's, it's being upheld with justice and righteousness, you know, like, again, like, I don't really trust that we're going to see true justice and righteousness in this mm. world. Yeah. Um, 
no matter no matter who my hope is in, no matter what organization or person I'm putting my hope in to bring about justice and righteousness, I know that it's going to fall short. Um, and in a sense, this this cry, you know, how long, O Lord, in the scriptures, and um, uh, is is a is a cry for for God to do something that that no human institution can. Yeah, um, bringing justice. Yeah. Yeah. All so right. Next, yeah. Next chapter is Ezekiel 34, 22 to 24. Yep. Really, what we're doing is just going through the Bible and pulling out key verses that point to Christ, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's, and there's many more. This is very selective. Okay. There's a lot of other places you could go in Ezekiel. And um, yeah. Um, all right. Um, uh, sure, sure. Uh, go ahead and read verses 23 and 24. Uh, 22 to 24. Oh, okay. All right. There we go. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. 22 to 24. I, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey and I will judge between sheep and prey. Oh, wow. I can't read. Let me try that again. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord will be their God and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Yeah. All right. So, um, this, of course, is a little bit later than Isaiah, significantly later than Isaiah. Um, uh, Jerusalem has already been attacked once by Nebuchadnezzar's army. Um, Ezekiel is in exile when he gives this, this prophecy, uh, but it hasn't been ultimately destroyed. And God is very concerned about the false shepherds, uh, meaning the, the leaders within Israel, the king, his counselors, the elders, the priests, the prophets. And um, is going to replace them. And first, he's basically like, I'm going to shepherd them. And then down here, you get to, and, and my servant David will shepherd them. And uh, it's worth noting that um, this is very contextually rooted in what's going on in Ezekiel at this time. Uh, for example, if you go to chapter 37, and even, well, even 36, there's a bunch of new covenant promises about, I'm going to put my spirit within you, um, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and uh, all centered around this 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 uh, servant David, who's going to be the prince of my people or the the ruler of my people, and uh, this is just one of them. And of course, Jesus draws on this in John chapter ten um, when he says, "I'm the good shepherd." So that's kind of what's going on here. Um, what does it mean for God's servant David to shepherd God's people? Well, I mean. For that, I think we can just look to what a shepherd does, right? Yeah. <laughs> they protect their flock. They make sure they have their needs provided for. Um, I always think it's humorous that we're compared to sheep, which they can be some of the stupidest animals. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Cute, if you've, but if you've, if you've never seen sheep flock before, <laughs> you should YouTube it. It is something else. And like one starts running and they're all like, let's go. And well, you just have like this mass of wool, just like. Yep. Yep. Uh, There's like, a, yeah. a show about a, a 
farmer who is a novice farmer and he decides to save on costs instead of hiring a shepherd he gets a drone to with a barking <laughs> barking sound to hurt nice. his sheep and it backfires completely and they just they just mob basically yeah <laughs> they go they completely do. wild so finally he caves and hires a shepherd and the shepherd just is quietly whistling and gently guiding the sheep where they need to go. And it's like the contrast is, ex- is pretty mm, extreme. And that's, and that's interesting. That's, that's, yeah. a, that's an interesting picture. Yeah. Yeah. And so shepherding is a, is a metaphor in the Bible for, for ruling for, for, but, but ruling in a skillful way and, and guiding and notice there's like a, a, like when Jesus talks about it in John 10, there's like a real care kind of aspect of it. Um, and, and you get this in the old Testament too, right? Like, so like David, even when he's, when he's trying to convince Saul to let him go up against Goliath is like, you know, if a, if a bear or a lion got a hold of a sheep, I would rescue it from its hand. Like I'd go like, imagine this like shepherd boy going up and attacking this, dangerous animal for one sheep you know and um so it's it's a it's a very awesome uh metaphor and jesus you know my sheep hear my voice and they come out after me and i give them so he leads them the shepherd leads them to where they will eat he brings them to food he ensures that they're safe he may ensures that they're nourished and it's interesting it's interesting also sorry i'll shut up after this um that's okay that shepherd, as you hinted at there in the, the illustration you gave, shepherds often did not themselves own the flocks. They were, um, you know, they were hired by by people to do it. And so, like, there is a notion in which, like, you know, God has a flock and the sh- and Jesus, um, it is Jesus's flock in a sense, of course. But right, that that he's caring for those who belong to his father. Um yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, I love how I love that imagery because like sheep have, with a good shepherd, sheep have nothing to worry about. Yeah. They can almost be oblivious in a, in a sense. Which they are, right? Yeah. The dangers around, which they are already oblivious to the dangers around them. Um, and so that just is a sheer dependence that yeah. I think we often have a hard time handing over to Christ that sheer dependence. Yeah. All you have to do is know his voice. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Like if, I, if that's his voice, I'm going where he is. Yeah. Uh, Jesus claims to be the fulfillment of this prophecy in John 10, one through 30. How does it comfort and strengthen you personally to know that Jesus is your shepherd? Oh, boom. Uh, I think so I just said that. <laughs> I think you did. Let's go on to Luke one then. <laughs> shall we? We shall. Right. So this is part of the what the, the angel's announcement to Mary. Um, very Christmassy. Um, all right. Christmassy. What's that? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, how fitting. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. 
I think what doing what Ryan did this week is exceedingly important because this really is the way that the Bible frames who Jesus is, you know, like um, this King in David's line and kind of understanding what that is and understanding the way that the Bible gives it texture um, is very important because I think we can sometimes have a very domesticated kind of sanitized version of it, um, which is almost devoid of the overall biblical storyline. And um, it's passages like this that you're reminded like, oh, this is something that's been running for a while now, like where we're get we're jumping into a story that's been uh, we're not at the beginning. <laughs> um, yeah. So you see the angels words and how how do they relate to the promise that God made to David in Second Samuel seven? Hmm. I mean, so there there's basically a reap. Well, I'm thinking of the Isaiah. I'm going to get all these passages mixed up. I'm thinking of the Isaiah, son of the most high. And given the throne of his father, David, which he will reign over forever. Mm-hmm. Those key words, um, like forever, throne forever, kingdom, there will be no end, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I like, yeah, give him the throne of his father, David. Um, there's no Israelite for whom that would not have rung a bell like what this mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. I like that. And, and notice the son of the most high God, he will be called son of the most high God. Again, uh, Mary probably did not hear this as, as this will be the second person of the Trinity. Um, although certainly we affirm that, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is, a, this is, he's going to be the King. That's uh, yeah. Um, so when they, when they knew of the promise yeah we're probably getting a little too late for this question but when 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 they're hearing this like you said she's not thinking of the the second member of the trinity but um so did they think at all that that was god's promise because we just finished abraham's life and we went through the promises given to him time and time again um so were they not thinking son of God, second member of the Trinity, were they thinking just like a normal human? I think the notion of plurality within God uh, was probably foreign to most readers of the Hebrew Bible. There are intriguing things that are said, and we just saw one of them in Isaiah, right? Calling him mighty God in Isaiah 9, Um, you know, uh, there are other examples of this in the Old Testament as well, where you're like, hmm, um, such as Jesus brings out from Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, right? How is how is David calling his son his Lord, right? And things like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, there's, so I, I think that like the 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 concept of plurality within the Godhead, although it is hinted at with um, in the Old Testament in some passages, uh, it it really doesn't get fleshed out until you're in to New Testament revelation. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So does this passage only apply to Jewish people? Quote: He will reign over the house of Jacob. Why or why not? <laughs> yeah. No, it does not. Just <laughs> um, 
So why not, Doug? So you could go to a lot of passages for this. Um, a very good New Testament one to go to would be Romans 11, where it talks about like God's people as this tree and it's this family of Abraham and the natural branches are the Jewish people and the unnatural branches, which are the Gentiles, are being grafted in. It's a portrait of us becoming part of God's historic people. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that there's that doesn't need to mean that there's no distinction for ethnic Israel, even in the present or in the future. But it does mean that uh, we are part of the same household. Um, Galatians three, right? Those who are of faith are the children of Abraham, the mm-hmm. children of Abraham. It doesn't say they're a new person, right? A new, new people in God. And in, even in fact, I mean, we were in Ezekiel a little bit ago and. Uh, this is get maybe <laughs> might get a little bit esoteric for some people, but um, uh, it's interesting that uh, the final vision of Ezekiel is of this new city with a new temple in it, and um, uh, very much similar to what we were about to look at at the very end of the book of Revelation. I think this is where Revelation kind of gets its prototype from, and um, the, the and in this 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 future hope for Israel, right? It talks about the tribes all being brought back and they're going to be, and at the end of chapter 47 in Ezekiel, it talks about how they're going to be given their land, right? They're going to be, it's going to be apportioned again to the tribes. And then it says, you shall allot as an inheritance for yourselves and for the sojourners who reside among you and have children among you. They shall be to you as native-born children of Israel. With you, they shall be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel, right? Which is a shocking thing compared to the way it's originally set up in the Old Testament, right? Where if you're a sojourner, you don't have permanent land because it's been distributed to all the tribes and all the clans and everything like that, right? Um, So you find this a lot in the Old Testament about how the Gentiles are to be incorporated into this people of God. And so when it talks about hope for the house of Jacob, you see this again in the New Covenant passage of Jeremiah 31, which talks about the New Covenant being for the house of Jacob. Um, The idea is that the church is incorporated into the house of Jacob. Again, I'm not saying that that totally de- de- demolishes all distinction uh, between Jews and Gentiles, as if they can't be spoken of separately from then on. But mm-hmm. uh, it is a major part of New Testament theology to see that. Gotcha. Yeah. So interesting. Right. Yeah, I think so. So let's wrap up um, <laughs> Revelation with Revelation 22. This is the final vision of the bible um the new heavens and the new earth uh, yep. described as a city in new jerusalem um a bunch of interesting things and, and not only is it a city where we live but in a sense we are the city lots of interesting mm-hmm. stuff uh, again drawing very heavily on on ezekiel uh the the city okay. that that new jerusalem in the latter chapters of ezekiel has 12 gates named after the 12 tribes here the city that comes down 12 gates named after the 12 tribes and 12 foundations named after the 12 apostles. So, uh, but here's the follow, the final vision. So would you like to read that verses one through five there, Kristen? Okay. Yeah. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. 
Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And obviously there's a lot of other cool stuff said about this uh, in and around, like in chapter 21. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's consider a few things here. <clears throat> this vision depicts the final Christian hope in which God's people dwell with him in the new heavens and the new earth depicted as a new Jerusalem. Why is Jesus still called the lamb? It's funny because Jesus is called both a shepherd and a lamb. <laughs> yeah. And a lion. Yep. I think the lamb has to do with him being the sacrificial, like atonement for our sins. Yeah. Yeah. And, right? and, and yeah, exactly. And he bears that identity in, in perpetuity. Right. Like when mm -hmm. when in the vision of, of Revelation four, where the whole book gets rolling and no one is seen worthy to open the seals. Who does he see? He sees a lamb that as though it had been slain. So it's not it's not this sheep like hopping around like of this cute little fuzzy sheep. No, this is a thing that's had its throat slit. Right. Yeah. Like this is a walking carcass. <laughs> and this is what symbolizes Jesus, mm -hmm. right? So, like, the reason you are here is because I am a lamb, and that will mm -hmm. always be throughout all eternity. Yeah. So I think it's it's interesting that 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 like this is the identity of Christ. Um, yeah. Throughout um, throughout eternity. It makes me think of um, when Christ is with his resurrection. I think often I think of uh, like the perfected like our resurrected bodies as being perfect and without yeah. blemish, but Christ maintained his blemishes from his crucifixion. He, yeah. had, he had the wound in his side and, and the holes in his hands. Yep. Um, and I feel like that is also kind of the same picture. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, his body is, uh, is unambiguously victorious. And, and all, all, that right. almost makes it more victorious, right? The fact yeah. that he bears those scars. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what is the significance of the tree of life in verse two? Yeah. Oh. Again, this also patches into Ezekiel, which I'm tempted to bring us back to, but in the interest of time, <laughs> we'll not. But um, yeah, notice, well, what did they forfeit in the Garden of Eden, the tree right. of life, right? So here, yeah. creation has come full circle. Um, and and this tree is uh, for the healing of the nations, which is, you know, so um Again, remember God's words back in Genesis three, lest they take from the tree of life and, and live forever. Um, and then he banishes them from the garden. Yeah. And here yeah. that, that tree of life symbolizes eternal life with God. It's yeah. restored. It's restored. Yeah. Um, and uh, okay. Final question here for this first week of Advent, we have traced some of the unique ways the Bible develops the concept of hope. What is the value of this as opposed to thinking in terms of short, consolidated concepts? 
for example, my hope is to go to heaven, or my hope is that Jesus saved me. Yeah, and on a doozy there. Yeah, it's a little bit doozy, right? So <laughs> again, like, right? It's it's uh, you know the the Bible talks in this way. I mean, it does talk about you know it does put it simpler, right? Like he saved me, you know, he gave himself up for me or something like that, right? But there's so much more for us to to care about and to fix ourselves to. Um, I think of like, you ever read the Old Testament? This came up, I think, last year when we were in the book of Joshua. And you get these stories recounted where you're almost like, we've heard you say this before. We've heard you say this before. But it's to keep alive, like the specific things that God has done, the way that he has put it, the way that he has done it. We celebrate him for the specific things that he has done, the specific ways that he's acted in history. Like, those aren't just throwaways so that we can just keep the punchline. Um, it's the whole picture that is part of our hope, that composes our hope. Um, Paul's out there preaching the gospel, and he still says that this is the gospel of the Son of God according to the flesh, right? The Son of David, um, the Messiah. Um, so, it's... Uh, yeah, so yeah. Just the idea, just, I never thought beyond, I feel like a surface level um, definition of hope, but I think what we see throughout the entirety of the Bible are these like markers of saying, this is why you have hope. This is why you have hope. This is yeah. why you have hope. Um, and it's so important because like, if you don't have hope, what else? what else is there yeah <laughs> and yep. i think that's why our world right now um and not just right now but always has so craves hope in something um yeah. and and we have we have that great hope and say like this is why you can actually hope yep. it is imperishable and will not fade and is forever and it get, and it gives us different ways of speaking about it too you know like to, it, it almost like it keeps it interesting, you know, like that, that the Bible is this winding, twisting storyline and you can keep going through it and learning new things about what God has done for you and the hope that's in Christ. So all those reasons are why I think it's, there's not, it's not as if it's wrong to say my hope is to go to heaven or my hope is that Jesus saved right. me, but there's right. so much more that we can understand about it than that. And clearly God wants us to know it. He's given it mm -hmm. to us in his word. And so I'm not going to be the one who thinks he can edit what God has said. And be like, Well, here's the really important stuff. So <laughs> I think right. uh, this is why this is just such a great, uh, a great time to invite friends, neighbors, people who don't know Christ, invite them out to church because they resonate. They can resonate with the desire for hope and yeah. joy and the other things that we're going to be talking about during this sermon series yeah absolutely all right so yeah this is a great time to be inviting people out um obviously um a lot of opportunities for that people are tend to be more open around this time and so uh just, just want to keep encouraging you to do that uh, for your prayer time, you know, pray that God would renew your sense of hope during this season of Advent and pray that God would help you to seize those opportunities he gives you to share your hope with others. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you. 
Thank you, Kristen, Thank you. for a great season. Thank you, Doug. Hopefully think, uh, next year we'll we'll get it down to a <laughs> 45 minutes or so. I, that's a goal that's <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm we'll make it a New Year's resolution, but it might be as sturdy as going to the gym. Um <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll it's see always fun to chat though. Always fun. Yes. So uh, leaders, thank you so much for um, everything you've done this season, uh, ministering to uh, the people whom the Lord has brought into your lives. Just pray that you would continue to find joy in that and that you would be thankful uh, for, for the grace, for the ministry, the grace of ministry that the Lord has given you. Um Welcome your feedback, everything from this podcast to the questions to really anything having to do with community groups. If we don't hear from you, we don't know how we can make it better. Um, so just thank you very much. If I if I don't see you before then, Merry Christmas. Um, Kristen, anything to say? Yeah, Merry Christmas, guys. Definitely going to miss you all. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> thank you, oh. thank you. Yes, and with that, <laughs> see you in some in winter sessions. Yep. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye.